Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I want to, we're starting a new series. Uh, well, we're in a new season. It's the this, this season of Lent. And so Jonathan and I were talking, and Jonathan came up with this great idea that we want to have a focus throughout this Lent season. Um, and it's about giving something up, which is Lent, but also celebrating or feasting in the kingdom of God. When we typically talk about Lent, we talk about what we're giving up, what we're fasting, but we also want to say yes. Uh, a mentor of mine, you say, if you say no to something, or you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So if you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. You can't just take stuff away and then have nothing replace it. So during Lent, we want to focus on uh, giving up sin and focusing and feasting on the way of the kingdom. So we're going to be using six of the seven deadly sins to identify what we want to let go of. And we use the fruits of the Spirit. That's how our gauge of what we do. We've got through this 50-plus series of... Uh, Knowing Jesus, following the ways of Jesus, being present in our neighborhood and leveraging our abilities, our influences, and our resources. And the way we measure all of that is not about how famous we get or how prestigious we are or any of that. It's are the fruits of the Spirit of the people of God in this community growing? Are the fruits of the Spirit growing? So while we're fasting stuff, we're looking for the fruits of the Spirit to grow and improve or multiply. So today we're talking about comparison and replacing that with gratitude. So gratitude, not comparison. So I want to start off with a little uh, about myself. About 10 years ago, actually, almost, I was talking to Carly and almost 10 years ago, which makes me feel, uh, me, old, makes me feel old. 10 years ago, I graduated from college. I graduated with a Bachelor of Music degree and uh, music education, and that's me, so happy. I had gone to school for seven or eight years. I had multiple deployments in the middle of that, so it took me a long time to get through my undergrad degree, and uh, it was a great program. I studied music, specifically uh, vocal music and uh, general classroom music. So out of that, 
during my time, my senior year, I got to study with uh, the Michigan Vocal Music Teacher of the Year. He got this award while I was student teaching with them, so it was super awesome. The kids loved him, so they loved me, and that was my last day, I think, at the school with all those little Debbie treats and stuff. He wrote a glowing review of me. I don't know why, but I loved it, and he was great. The, this powerhouse of a teacher. And then my first year, uh, after graduating, I got a music teaching job. And there's my choir classroom, and there's me on the right. And I don't know if you have been trying to teach, if you're a teacher in the climate that we're in today, but I learned when I moved down here that people will call me out of the blue, and they'll call me and they say, Jeremy, do you want to come teach music at my school? That is polar opposite. When I, was, uh, when I graduated, it was the exact opposite. I had to beg and borrow. The only reason I got my job, actually, was because one of my friends from high school was leaving her position, put it on Facebook, and I was able to reach out real fast before anybody else did and say, can I have your job? <laughs> and they said, yes, you can have my job. So that's how I got. It is, it's so different. So I was very lucky. I was very blessed. I also... During that time, I met amazing professors. I met amazing colleagues. You know, I have a friend that sings opera. He's won two uh, Grammys for singing opera. People who've done major uh, com compositions and stuff. I was the president of a music fraternity in college. I was an undergraduate student government uh, representative for the School of Music in college. And despite all of these great things that I accomplished or looked like I accomplished, I still felt inferior to all of my peers. I felt not as good or not as worthy. And I would let doubt and comparison creep in because all these people would get these amazing jobs. And I'd be like, why did they get that job? Or uh, I'd be going head to head with them. And I'd be like, man, why did, they, why did we go down to the last two and they picked that person and not me? Or, uh, you know, why can't I get a great school like this school? And I know why. I mean, I know why. Because the school I went to BGSU, uh, they're really known for their education program. They put out really, really, really good teachers. And they're really, really known for, or they're really, really good music teachers, too, on top of that. So I know that they're rock stars. I know that they're amazing. Even now, like 10 years later, there's people who have written books that are changing the way that music is taught in schools, people competing at state levels and stuff. So I know they're better teachers than me. They're better musicians than me. But I, I could not celebrate their them being special because I wasn't feeling special. And so that comparison was eating away at me. Even, like I said, even though I got a job my first year out of uh, college, I still did not feel good enough. And I think if we look at today's scriptures, we can understand why this comparison is such a negative on our lives and how we can replace it with gratitude. So the first comparison that we can look at, I think, is in the Garden of Eden. So most of us, would, I would hazard to guess, know the story of the fall of man. Right? God creates Adam. We read the story of the creation of Adam, and he says, Adam, you can eat from any tree. You can eat the fruit of any tree in this whole garden except for that one right there in the middle. Any tree you want to eat, just not that one. And then a little bit later, uh, Eve is created, and um, she's out there wandering around, and Adam is off doing something. And the serpent, who uh, the Bible writes as the craft, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any of the fruit, from any of the trees? Now, it's a little tricky right here because God didn't say that. God didn't say you couldn't eat from it. So Eve corrected him. She said, hey, no, 
I can eat from any fruit, from any tree except for that one, because if I touch that one, I will die. If I touch that tree, I will die. And the serpent replies, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat, it, you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Not you will be God or you'll have your own dominion. You will be like God. That's a comparison. You're not cool now, but if you eat this fruit, you're going to be really cool like the guy who made you. You know, like nothing to something. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And so she said, okay, that sounds great. I want to be like God. So she eats the fruit. She gives some to Adam. And then we know that's the fall, right? That is how original sin enters into the world. And we have been battling that really ever since uh, forever, <laughs> since that time. And the curse of Adam comes from this moment because somebody wanted to be like the creator of the universe. And then we have the, the scripture that we read today, which is, uh, Carly read earlier, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the 40 days in the wilderness, which why we celebrate Lent for 40 days and 40 nights is because Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is tempted. That's usually what we talk about, the temptation of Jesus. He goes out into the wilderness, and for 40 days he... Uh, I, it doesn't really say if he doesn't eat or drink, but he fasted. So uh, I'm guessing that he did not eat a lot of food because the first temptation that he uh, is given by the tempter, right? So it's at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, if uh, you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights. So if you're really hungry and you really got all this power, so why don't you just turn these stones into bread and you'll be good to go. And that didn't work. So then uh, the devil took him to the city, the holy city, and puts him on top of this peak of this temple. And he says, hey, you should throw yourself off this building, which is not a very good opening. But he says, you should throw yourself off this building because you're the son of God and nothing will happen to you. The angels will come down, they will save you, and you're going to be good to go. And people will see how amazing you are. So just throw yourself off the building, and it'll be okay. And when that didn't work, he takes him to the highest point in the earth, and he says, look around you. All this stuff can be yours. All this. I'll give you the complete control and complete power over all of this. This earthly world. And that did not work, and Jesus sent him off and says, you can't do this. You can't test God. You can't uh, be God. And I cannot replace God with these temptations. So we have the three temptations. Turning the stone to bread, being saved by angels, or having dominion over the world. Now the comparison, what are the comparisons here? You're hungry. Do you not want to be hungry anymore? <laughs> Don't be hungry or be hungry. Now, I know some of us have been hangry, and we would rather not be hungry most of the time. That's like the most basic level of something called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is we want to be fed at the very bottom. And then we have uh, safety, you know? Throw yourself off, and you, it'll be proven that you're safe and you're protected. We want to feel safe. Do you want to feel unsafe? Or do you want to feel protected and safe? We want to feel safe. That's a human thing. We don't want to live our lives in fear. And the last one, dominion, is power and influence. 
Now, we might not want to rule the world. Like, that's a, that's a pretty tall order. I would be hard-pressed for somebody in here to say, I want to control the actions of everybody in this world. But I would venture to guess that we like things and want things a particular way in our little worlds, our little spheres of influence. We would gladly control some of the actions of the people that we interact with around us. And these are three human, earthly things to compare to. Because... Jesus would be hungry, 100% man, 100% God. He's going to have hunger. I'd rather not be hungry. Jesus is feeling weak because he's been out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. I want to feel safe and protected. That's a human element. And I want to have power and influence around the world with me. That is a human comparison. But out of all that, none of that works. Even when Jesus is probably at his second weakest besides being uh, at the time of the cross, his second time of weakness, greatest weakness, he is not tempted at all by these comparisons. He is not going to trade what he knows is good and what is right for something that is ultimately temporary, which in the moment we know does not feel temporary. And so how does he get here? Well, Jesus doesn't go into the wilderness not knowing anything. <laughs> I mean, he's been trained up and he knows scripture and he knows stuff and he's been teaching since he was a little kid. But he knows what is important and what is not important. He knows the end goal, that God, the creator of the universe, is the thing that he is supposed to be worshiping and honoring over all worldly and earthly things in the world. So we have to practice gratitude ourselves. We have to replace the comparisons that we face every day in our lives and replace them with gratitude. So just stepping outside of the, the, the God realm for a minute, Practicing gratitude has been proven to actually be good for your health. The practice of a daily gratitude journal is a good thing we should all probably participate in. There's a study, and if you get our emails, I'm going to try to remember to send it out on Wednesday, uh, the link to the study. But here's a, a quote that studies have found that giving thanks and counting blessings can help people sleep better, lower stress, and improve interpersonal relationships. It also found that keeping a gratitude journal decreased materialism and bolstered generosity among adolescents. Another study shows that high school students who were asked to keep a gratitude journal reported healthier eating. And there's also some evidence that it could lower your risk of heart disease and lower symptoms of depression for some people. Those are all really great benefits. <laughs> like better sleep, better eating, better relationships, uh, maybe not feeling so bad. Um, I mean, these are all really good things that we could be practicing. And so I know it's hard because just saying I'm going to keep a gratitude journal is not going to magically change the world. <laughs> and, you know, like, it's not going to get rid of your depression, possibly. Maybe not even. It's not going to make everything perfect and hunky-dory. And why do I know this? But because probably one of the most, gr the person who practiced the most gratitude, uh, who always talked well about his experience for some reason, was this guy named Paul in the New Testament. And I want to read from you a part of his letter from Second uh, Corinthians, a, church, uh, a letter to the church at Corinth, which is a a church that is a hot mess. Um, they just are, they're crazy. They have a lot of trouble. This is his second letter. A lot of people don't get two letters, but they get a second letter to the church and he's comparing and he's taking a moment in here to boast about, um, boast about all the bad stuff that's happened to him because he, he's telling them like, I think you guys need to hear this. You obviously like people that boast uh, because you'll be easily swayed by them. So let me boast to you about what's happened to me so you can understand that, uh, you know, this isn't just some game that we're playing. 
So this is how he starts his letter, <laughs> or he starts this section of his letter. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So there's his setup. <laughs> Right? That's not a lot of good things that have happened to him. I have done this, I've done that, I've been beaten, shipwrecked, all this stuff has happened to him. And he goes on a little bit later in the letter, uh, and for us it's the next chapter, and he says, Therefore, in order to keep from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The gratitude in all of this misery, and even in the temptation and the thorn in his side and the misery that he is facing, that he has prayed to be taken away that wasn't given away, even in all of that, Paul has found the ability to find gratitude to say, even when I am suffering, God is made bigger than me. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty hardcore <laughs> in my mind. That is, that is a man who has practiced gratitude, who has recognized Jesus and Christ and the Holy Spirit in all things and all areas that he is at. I mean, he is a man that sings hymns in a prison until they, he is freed from that. Jesus can be recognized and appreciated in every single facet of life, good, bad, ugly, and in between. So what can we be grateful for? You know, I think sometimes we all have uh, great struggles and we have little struggles and um, the struggles that we're facing personally, no matter from the outside if they look big or they look small, is still our struggles. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if you have a million dollars in the bank account right now, you can still have troubles. So what can you be thankful for? How can we reorient our mind and our brain? Well, I think you can be thankful for one more day. I mean, the fact that we're here today in this moment hearing my voice, and uh, you can be thankful for that. That's, that's an easy one. <laughs> that's an easy first step. Uh, you can be thankful for uh, being able to feed yourself for a week. You can be thankful. Uh, here's, here's one. I'll give you an example. So when I drive in Dallas, I have a, not a love-hate relationship with drivers in Dallas. I have a, a hate-hate relationship with drivers in Dallas. Um, it is crazy down here. I, I, it's probably the thing I, I bemoan about the most to Jonathan about coming down here is the drivers. And um, I have learned to be thankful that even in the moment, uh, I could be thankful for two things right away. One, I did not get hit by that person that just cut me off or tried to run the red light. And two, I can be grateful that I have the ability to drive around and have the freedom to do so. Those little orientations are like, it's not a huge deal, right? It's not a huge thing, but that changes my mind to be thankful and to be grateful for the spot that I am in right now. That Jesus is with me in that spot right there and right now. 
And so we can be thankful for little things like that. We can be thankful for having one more day beyond what the doctor said we could have to live. I mean, you have two weeks to live, and then you make it 15 days and 16 days. I mean, that's something to be thankful for. That's a big thing to be thankful for. You can be thankful for, uh, I know some people can be thankful for saying no to an addiction just one more time. I've been addicted to this thing for so long, I'm going to say no one more time. I am grateful for that, and I am grateful for the grace and the endurance to carry on from Jesus. It takes practice, just like anything else we do in life. There's a lady at a church I used to, to be at, and she had what I would consider not a great life. I mean, everything that seemed to go wrong in her life went wrong. And I prayed for her. I prayed for her often. I prayed with her often. I listened to her prayers often. And I always came away so thankful. Uh, not that she had a bad life, but in the midst of this crazy life that she had, she always gave thanks to God. She always started with the thankfulness uh, prayer and ended her prayers with thankfulness. And I would just, I'd, I'd walk away and say, how, how is this lady surviving? <laughs> I mean, it was that Bananas, like how does she have the energy to get up and walk around and be not just happy, but, or not just functional, but happy? It's because years and years and years of practice of recognizing God and being grateful, instead of comparing herself to the world around her, even comparing herself to her own brother who was in a much better position than she was. So how did I get over my comparison issues of being a... a a non-special teacher amongst my peers. I just accepted that I was gifted to be a good teacher wherever I was at. So, like, I didn't, I didn't care about getting a really great school. I didn't care about changing the world of education. I did not care because I was just thankful that I was gifted and had the ability to teach the kids around me to share my worldview with them. I have accepted the gift that God has given me as a person and so my comparison still can kind of creep in sometimes. But I stop and I give thanks to God. When I feel comparison coming on, I stop and I say, God, thank you for whatever I am trying to compare myself to. So that's what I want you to do this week and going forward. When you feel comparison starting to creep in and uh, you're losing the ability to be grateful or thankful or just it's putting you in a bad mood because whatever situation you're in right now, somebody has it better to stop and just say, God, I am thankful for whatever. It could be so th simple as saying, God, I'm thankful that I can talk to you right now because sometimes there's nothing else to say because it stinks so bad wherever we find ourselves. Uh, God, I'm just so thankful to be able to stop in this moment and thank you. It's the idea that Jonathan always talks about of pausing between action and impulse. Impulse and action. I think that had it backwards. Pausing before impulse and action. The impulse is to compare yourself to the world around you and to feel bad about it. The action is to actually complain about it and make yourself feel bad about it. That pause in between there should be the moment where you say, God, I am grateful for blank. It's hard. It's hard. And replacing comparisons in our lives are not easy, but it is something worth doing because if Paul can do it, who received lashes and stones and shipwrecks and imprisonment and uh, I don't know what he faced in the countryside, but danger in the country and danger in the city and danger from the Jews and danger from the Gentiles and danger from other non-believers. I mean, if he can do it, I think we should try to channel a little bit of Paul and do that as well.
we're going to respond with a prayer of confession, which is just a moment for us to stop and say, I've fallen short. I have fallen short of recognizing what is important in this world. I have fallen short of recognizing that God is great and this world is not the end-all, be-all, but my hope and my security and my foundation is found in the kingdom of heaven and not in the kingdom of the world. It's a moment to take us, uh, for us to, to confess our sins and to repent, which is to turn away from the sins in our lives. So the prayer is going to be up on the screen, and uh, we're going to read it together. Then we will end with the Lord's Prayer, and we'll take communion together, uh, the table that is full of grace and sacrifice for ourselves. So let me pull up our prayer of confession. Would you read this with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now let's pray the prayer uh, that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.